many of you know what this is? A spark plug what? No. It's an EKG machine. Wouldn't it be awesome if it was a lie detector? <laughs> Bring it all up here, wire you up, and see how you're doing this morning. It's an EKG machine. It's a heart monitor. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced one or had the opportunity to be hooked up to one, but every so often, if there are things that aren't really going on well on the inside, and you kind of know it, you ought to have that checked out. Maybe on the outside, you look fine, and every one of you look awesome this morning. But maybe in the inside, there's some stuff going on that you're not really sure of. It's an opportunity for you and I to get checked up every once in a while to make sure the heart's working as it should. And so you go to the doctor and kind of lays you down and they take all of these things and they connect them to different electrodes at certain parts of your body in very strategic, specific places to get a really good read of what's going on inside and specifically what's going on inside your heart. And then if you have a nurse or have been around 19 years like I am, and everybody in the community knows you, they'll then take that little thing that they tape to your chest and rip it off <laughs> in a really wonderful and enthusiastic ways. And when they laugh at that, it's kind of uh, unnerving a little bit when they rip it off of your body. And then a doctor gets a readout to kind of make sure that everything inside your heart is working as it should. Now, a normal EKG is supposed to look like this with everything functioning regularly as it should, with your heart beating around 62 or 68 or 70, 75 beats a minute. Five years ago this week, mine looked like this. And this. It actually looked like a third grader got a piece of paper and it just started marking all over it. Now, I knew there was something a little bit inside that wasn't right, but I wasn't sure what it was, and I thought everything on the outside was okay. So I called the doctor up, and he put one of these machines on me and said, you ought to wear a monitor for a couple of days just to make sure because some things don't look right. And I felt that I looked okay on the outside, and I felt everything was fine. And then all of a sudden, about a few hours before Good Friday service that particular week, I got a call from the hospital saying, we have a room reserved for you in intensive care, and you need to be here in five minutes. Now, my wife was driving, fortunately, so we were there in five minutes. I had ventricular tachycardia and atrial fibrillation. Now, when I looked those up, I found that ventricular tachycardia is when your heart races or beats a little over 100 beats a minute. When she called me up, she said, yours is going at 220 beats a minute, and you need to be in here now. Now, I looked around. My wife wasn't in a room, and when my wife's in the room, it always beats at 200 beats a minute. <laughs> but I recognized, and she's not even here to hear this. It was so good when it was in my head. And Taylor, thank you. And I knew that there was something that needed to be checked out, and obviously it did. And for the next few days, it was one of those things, are you going to go through it or not? Are you going to make it or not? And what's going to look like and what's going to happen? And God just ministered in amazing ways. But when all of those things really came out and the readings were there, I realized that even though I may have felt good on the outside and looked okay on the outside, there was some stuff going on deep down inside that I really needed to address. A few weeks ago, Pastor Rock Dilliman, pastor of the Allegheny Center Alliance Church, felt like things just weren't right. A little bit of numbness, a little bit of tingling, and was continuing on in a day and said to his administrative assistant and then one of his pastors, you know what, I ought to go get this checked out. I think I'm going to walk over to Allegheny General just to be sure. Now, Allegheny Center Alliance Church is in the north side of Pittsburgh and literally 
across the street, you can see Allegheny General Hospital. He said, I think I'm going to walk over just to make sure. As he got downstairs, he ran into Sheldon, one of the other pastors, and said, you know what, maybe you ought to drive me over just to be sure. He got over to Allegheny General Hospital in the emergency room and had a major heart attack. The doctor had to shock him three times just to get him back to life. Had the Widowmaker vein that was blocked up and did a, a stint, obviously, and he's doing well. Not back in the pulpit yet, won't be in the pulpit. Maybe Easter Sunday and probably not till Mother's Day. He said everything on the outside seemed okay, even though there was this little bit of thing. But boy, on the inside, there was stuff going on that was serious. Doctor said, had you decided to walk over, you would have died in that little park between Allegheny General Hospital and Northside. Allegheny General Hospital and the, and the Allegheny Church. Everything may be okay on the outside, but maybe there's some stuff going inside that really ought to be examined. And this morning, that's what we want to talk about. Now, when we talk about your physical heart, we're talking about, not talking about your physical heart this morning, but your spiritual heart. When we talk about your heart in the context of spiritual issues, we're not referring, obviously, to the mechanics of how your heart functions, but who you really are, what you're really like, what's deep down inside, and what's going on. When we say someone has heart, as a football player, an athlete, we know he has a heart. But when we use the phrase, he has heart, means he does it with passion. He does it with enthusiasm. He really puts everything into it. When we say to our parents, come on, have a heart, we know they have one, even though sometimes they may not act like they have one. We know they have one. But it's more than just simply have a heart because it needs to mechanically work inside you. And when you look inside a girl's eyes who just had her heart broken, you know that it's deep down inside an enormous amount of emotions go with that phrase. When your mom or your dad or you say to your mate, I just want you to know when you go into her room, her heart's been broken. I want you to be sensitive to that. The heart's not really broken, but it's broken. We're not referring, obviously, this morning to the physical functions of the heart, but what's going on deep down inside and who we really are. <clears throat> your heart is the seat of emotions. It's, the, heart of your fe- it's the, the seat of your passions, your feelings, your will. It's the real you. Maybe it's the part that everybody sees. Maybe you really are what you are. Maybe I am what I am, as Popeye would say. What you see is what you get. It's just who I am. And maybe every once in a while your mate wants to say to you, then be somebody else because I don't like this one. And maybe everybody sees who you are and maybe no one sees who you are. But there is someone who sees everything and someone who knows everything deep down inside your heart and soul. And it's obviously not always your doctor. It's God who knows exactly what's going on, who knows everything about you and knows whether or not you're really connected to him and really in tune or really honest about who you are and what's going on inside or whether or not you are. If I were to hook you up this morning in a spiritual sense and find out what's really going on inside, there are some things that could indicate that. How you spend your time. If there was one of these electrodes that could be hooked up to you and watch you for a while as when you put on a heart monitor and have to wear it for a couple of days, everybody knows everything about it. At least those people who read it knows everything that you've done during that 48-hour, 72-hour period of time. But if we were to hook up one of these spiritually and watch how you spend your time, it could be a pretty good indicator of what your heart's like and what's really important to you. How you spend resources would be another good electrode to hook up and kind of find out what's really going on with how you're 
allocate the resources God's entrusted into your care. How you talk. Not just when everybody's around, but how you talk when you're really fired, really wired, really angry, really frustrated. How you act when no one else sees and what you're really like. If we were to hook all of these up and have them be spiritual indicators of what's going on inside, it may be that it would reveal some really wonderful things. And maybe it would reveal some adjustments that need made. Jesus said, I want to be really honest with you. What's inside your heart is going to come out. What's going on inside, at some point it's going to come out. So I just want you to know that right now. What's in your heart is going to come out. What's in your heart will be revealed. One good indicator of how we are in deep down inside is how we praise and what that looks like. For some, it can be done so that others can see. And then it's just a performance. And for others, it's an honest expression of gratitude. One of the verses we kind of skimmed over a few weeks ago as we were wrapping up our series on Colossians was out of chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And it said, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And you do that through psalms and hymns and Songs from the Spirit, singing to God, how? With gratitude in our hearts. And whatever you do, whether it's in word, what you say, or deed, what you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving again thanks to God the Father through Him. Today's Palm Sunday. It's an event that set the stage for the greatest week in the history of humanity. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all describe it. If you had the opportunity this week at any time, you ought to read all four Gospels. Each one of them looks at it from a different vantage point. I love how they have their personality that comes out. Matthew's the tax collector, the mechanical kind of guy that wants to make sure everything is structured. So he gives us an enormous amount of details, a significant amount of details. John is the one that writes with a lot of emotions. I love John. He identifies himself as Jesus' favorite. Your kids do that as well, right? I'm dad's favorite. I'm mom's favorite. John said that about himself. I'm the one whom Jesus loved. He loved all of humanity. But John would identify himself as the one whom Jesus loved. You ought to read their journey to the end and near the end of the experience with Jesus through the grid of that relationship that John may have had with Peter. Peter, the dominant one, the one that was outspoken, the one that always had something to say. And John, the passionate one, the tender one, who was again the one whom Jesus loved. As they go to the garden, when they hear that Jesus rose from the dead, John describes himself again as the one whom Jesus loved. And he said, the other one came as well, but I beat him. Almost as if they're in a race. And then knowing that any good Jew never goes into a tomb that's empty or uncertain, he says, just want you to know, even though I beat him, the other one went in. I stood on the outside. Each of them writes the story of Jesus' experience with them from a different grid. It's fascinating when you read it through the grid of each one of them. Luke writes about this particular day this way in Luke chapter 19. Now they've been hearing Jesus talk about what was going to take place near the end. And now they know as they head to Jerusalem, some of the things that he may have predicted are going to come true. They're not really certain. They're living it all for the first time. But they know he talked a lot about going to Jerusalem and what was going to happen. And now they know they're on the way. As they approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent to his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden on. Untie it and bring it here. 
If anyone asks you, who, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went on and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, the, the owners asked, exactly what Jesus said they would ask, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Sound familiar? It's the angel's declaration when Jesus was born. Now some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, I don't know if you do what I do. I'm sure a lot of you say, oh, Lord, help us never to do what he does. But if you do what I do, every time I read Scripture, I try to read it, read it with imagination. Matter of fact, on many occasions, I'll practice one of the spiritual disciplines called meditation, and I'll just stop. I'll pause. I'll reflect. I'll close my eyes and try to picture the portrait that Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John has just painted in front of me. Max Licato, I think, does it better than any writer I've ever seen to literally paint a portrait with words. And so when I look at this particular setting of Scripture, I try to imagine what the scene's like in my mind. Pilgrims from everywhere have come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Early historians estimate the crowd grew from anywhere from 250,000 to 2 million people. People are everywhere. Minimally speaking, the population of Jerusalem had increased five times from what it normally was. In the middle of this scene, right in the middle of that scene, comes Jesus. Now, it's not like it was announced. It's not like trumpets blew and all of a sudden everybody knew. It's not like they had read this story before and knew at that magic moment, at that appropriate moment, Jesus would come in in the middle of all of that crowd and all of that mayhem, whether it's a half a million or two million people, Jesus comes walking in. You almost wonder if the crowd began to stop and reflect and recognize what they had just seen and what they're living through. And everything with all the excitement going on around them began to kind of hush down. And all of a sudden they realized, well, Jesus... And then the roar began to develop again. And everybody began to praise and adore. Not always for what they knew and not always for what they understood, but they just recognized this was Jesus, the man we've been hearing about for the last two years. I was there. Matter of fact, I showed up that day and I found myself being there all day long and I got kind of hungry and then all of a sudden I heard that there were being some baskets passed out with some fish and some bread in it. I looked at the crowd. There must have been ten or 15,000 people there. Now, how on earth are all these people going to get fed by those few baskets? But they were. I was overwhelmed. Matter of fact, not only did all of the people that day get fed, there was baskets left over. Another one could have said, you're never, ever going to believe this. But I was there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, nobody comes back from the dead. Matter of fact, Lazarus had been dead for a few days. All of a sudden, Jesus just simply said, Lazarus, come forth. And the guy came out of the grave. I was there that day in Matthew. People from everywhere came around. Every single person that had any kind of physical need came up to Jesus, and he healed them all. I mean, the lame began to walk, the blind began to see, the crippled began to have their feet put back to, with life in them again. I was blown away with what I saw. 
I'm fascinated with the fact that Matthew said, and all of them were healed. Now, if I was in any one of those scenes and I found out that this Jesus that I hadn't seen for a while was coming into Jerusalem in a really triumphant kind of setting, I'd want to be there. I'd want to find myself in the middle of all of that with a lot of thoughts running in my mind. What's he going to do now? What's going to happen today? In the middle of all of this excitement and this enormous crowd, what's he going to do today? I was there. I was there when he fed the 5,000 or the 10,000 or the 20,000. I was one of the ones that he healed. I'll be honest with you. I was one of the lepers who didn't go back and say thanks, and today I have the opportunity to do that. you imagine the amount of emotions and feelings and thoughts that were running through the vast array of people that were there that day as Jesus walks into Jerusalem? Every Sunday morning we give people the opportunity to be prayed over. One of the things that CNMA believes is that Jesus Christ still heals. And so on a number of occasions, we invite people to come forward. We just obey James 5. Anybody happy here? James says, sing. And so we give you the chance to do that. And if you're kind of sad, pray. So we give you the chance to do that as well. And if you're sick, why don't you have the elders pray over you, anoint you with oil so that God has the opportunity to minister to your physical need and raise you up. And many times we do that. But I've never had a Matthew 8 experience, 18 experience where every single person was healed. But I've had some amazing stories. I've had people call me up and say, you're never going to believe this. We're going to have a baby. I've had people call me up and say, you're never going to believe this. The doctor found no cancer. You're never, ever going to believe this. But that limb that was broken has been healed. And the list is endless. But in Jesus' case, everybody was healed. Wouldn't you want to say thanks to that? Wouldn't you want to be there and be a part of that celebration? And so they were there. Some had seen his miracles. Many had heard his teachings. Others knew that he could raise the dead, and they wanted to be there. You also need to remember that this is a people who had history after history story told to them about great prophets coming forth, but none of them had been alive to see one. Remember a few weeks ago when you all went through that Old Testament experience and then I had you on Sunday later demonstrate it and show us how well you really remembered the entire Old Testament. And you got near the end right before you did the cross and you had 400 years of what? Silence. 400 years. That's a significant chunk of time. If a generation is 40, if 10 generations have come and gone before they'd ever heard from a prophet again or heard about a prophet, now all of a sudden after all of those stories being told over and over and over again, one is showing up. Not just a prophet, not just any prophet, but the prophet. Not just any man, but the son of man. Not just any son of man, but the son of God. He claims to be. I'm not going to miss this or anything. And so they come. It's easy to understand why it created such a stir. But what's left to the imagination is what was going on inside their hearts as they see this scene. Some were there because it was really the first time in their lives where they had the opportunity to see a real life prophet. So they showed up just to see what was going to happen. Others were there because they had been involved in one of his miracles or at least had seen it and they kind of wanted to see if he would do anything wonderful then. And others really did want to thank him. And so they heard about it and they came that day. And some were just caught up in the excitement of all and they just followed the crowd. You see, there are a lot of people that do that, have no idea what or why, but they just are there because everyone else is there who have no idea what Jesus had done, no idea exactly who he was. And there were a lot that were there that day because they knew 
who he was. And they wouldn't have missed it for anything. Fascinating, again, when you read the Gospels, John says, even the disciples didn't get it all until after he was glorified. In Matthew, it says, when the crowd was asked, what are they doing? and Why are they doing it that way? <coughs> it said they toned it down from Hosanna to the Son of David, which is a messianic reference to the fact that God's representative have come to save them to, oh, it's Jesus of Nazareth. To me, one of the fascinating elements of the entire event is that Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. And not only just them as a crowd, them as individuals. And he knew whether their hearts were in it or not. If you try hard enough, you can almost picture what it's like for him to literally be on that donkey riding in the sea of humanity and looking at every single face as he went by. And not just in this wild dash down the road, but literally going slow enough that he could look deep in the eyes of every single individual that was there that day and knew exactly what they were thinking. And he looked deep into the heart, knowing that the eyes are the window to the soul and knew whether they were there for the right reason or not. That can be either really scary <laughs> or amazingly freeing. That I don't have to do it so others see and I don't have to do it so others perform. And I don't have to do it so others are okay with where I'm at, what I'm doing, and how I'm expressing it. I know he sees and I know he understands. And I'm really good with that. Because there's a lot of freedom, in a sense, that comes with that kind of knowledge. Jesus knew why they were there. He knew why they were thinking it. He knew what they were thinking and how they were responding to his presence. Remember, he could read minds all over the New Testament. Every experience he had with them, it says he knew what they were thinking. He knew whether their hearts were in it or not. If you think of this event as a regular worship service and Jesus come riding in, you understand that there's a vast array of feelings, thoughts, and emotions that go with that. But I guarantee you one thing, with all the uncertainty of what others knew, what those beside them, Jesus knew. The vast array of harsh responses to Jesus on the streets of Jerusalem that day aren't a whole lot different from the vast array of heart responses on any given Sunday in Church Street, USA. Jesus is here, here every Sunday morning. I grew up with what was called the invocation in many services and days gone by where we literally stopped and invited Jesus' presence there. He had already been there. I mean, I understand the dynamics that goes with that, and I've done the invocation on a number of occasions, but Jesus is already there. When we gather together, he comes in with us. He dwells among us. He dwells among the praise of his people, Scripture tells us. He's here every Sunday morning, and he knows whether or not our hearts are in it or not. He responded on a number of occasions to the Pharisees. A number of them are quoted, one specific, that kind of goes like this in the Denny version. I see your lips are moving but your, heart aren't, your hearts aren't in it. These people are honoring me with their lips. I, I know they're singing the words. They're saying the things that are necessary, but their hearts aren't in it at all. Now, when you're on stage, whether it be what I do on Sunday morning or what the worship team does on Sunday morning, you can pretty much see what goes on in people's faces. You can watch them. You can watch them respond, and you watch their faces, and you can kind of get a feel for how they feel or what's going on in their life. Sometimes those on stage think they can tell 
what's going on in people's lives. And they can tell whether you're in it or not by what they see. But if we're really honest, that's not always true. Hands raised are not always an indication of what's going on inside. Hands down are not always an indication of what's going on inside. I raise hands because that's one of my ways of expressing my adoration to God. A lot of people clap. I don't. Matter of fact, I never want it to feel like it's an applause for the people on stage. And so I raise my hands. It's one of the medians of praise, but clapping is fine. Raising your hands are fine. Not raising your hands is fine. Some people think when we look on stage and those who stand and those who sit are different from one another or feeling different about what they're doing, but whether you stand or whether you sit isn't always an indication of your attitude toward God. Whether you sing loud or bad or not at all doesn't always tell what's going on inside. Some of you are just making a joyful noise to God, and that's okay. But there is one who sees the heart and knows whether our hearts are in it or not. And he sees our heart, and he knows whether or not it's a, an opportunity to connect to the living God through worship. Now, we sometimes define worship as a singing, and it's much broader than that. It's defined as ascribing worth or value or giving honor or preference. To believers, it's a meeting place between God and his people. It's an avenue of expressing the awesomeness of God, where the focus is not then on me or how I feel or what I like, but it's on him and what I'm expressing. A.W. Tozer said, Worship is elementary until it begins to take on the quality of admiration. As long as the worshiper is engrossed with himself, he's a babe. We begin to grow and mature when we really understand that our worship has passed from thanksgiving to admiration. It's praising God not just for what he's done, and that's okay to praise him for what he has done, but it's also moving beyond that to just thank him for who he is. It's not focusing on me and what I like or what I don't like, but on him and how I can respond to that. That's why the Pharisees, Jesus reacted to the Pharisees when he said, your lips are singing the words, but your hearts aren't in it. Your bodies are here, but your minds are someplace else. Jesus was looking for those whose hearts were really in it, who weren't preoccupied with yesterday's events or tomorrow's circumstances, whose hearts really were fully committed to him. He still looks for that. Jesus said, there's going to come a day well, those who worship me are going to worship me in spirit, deep down inside their soul, and in truth, with real honesty, as our spirit and God's begin to connect. During this week, as I said last Sunday morning, you and I have an amazing opportunity to reflect on what this week represents. It may be for you to go back and read the gospel stories, maybe Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or maybe all four of them, just in this setting just in these last few chapters headed toward the cross and kind of get a vantage point for how each one of them feels in response to this moment. I mean, you have an eyewitness account of someone who spent the last two and a half to three years of ministry life with Jesus every single day who kind of gives us an eyewitness glimpse of what it was like. You have authors like Mac Lacato who can write and make it come to life like no one I've ever seen. Whether it's six hours one Friday or the angels were silent or he still moved stones, whatever maybe attracts you to be able to do that. To Jesus, I never knew or Christ our Savior. Friday night, opportunity for you to come and to just spend some quiet, reflective moments listening to the heart of God and expressing to him how overwhelmed you are that the God of the universe loves you and forgives you and died on the cross so that you don't have to. 
I've had people on numbers of occasions throughout the years of my ministry say, I'm overwhelmed that the God of the universe could forgive my past. And not only forgive me and love me and invite me into his family, but call me a daughter of the king or the son of the living God. And every once in a while during communion or just those special moments, it's an overwhelming moment to recognize what he'd done, who I am, what he did for me, and what I am now because of Jesus. This afternoon at BC3 is an Easter production that many of our own people are involved in. It's been for the last few nights and finishes up today. It's just a visual opportunity to see what it was all about. Sunday morning as we celebrate, whatever it would take to be able to get you to the point of being able to know beyond what others see that God sees, and I'm aware of that, and I'm okay with that, and I just want to express to him my love and adoration. Jesus said to the Pharisees who wanted it all quiet down, look, I need you to know if they don't do it, the rocks will cry out. And I often find myself saying at the end of that phrase, every time I see it, Lord, I hope you never have to go to the rocks to get your praise when you show up at CAC on Sunday morning. I want to join with him. We're going to sing. We're going to give to people in need. We're going to take a deacon's offering this morning while we're singing and celebrating all of its worship. We're going to end in adoration. Maybe you just need to hear someone else sing. Maybe you don't want to stand. That's fine. Maybe you don't even want to sing. You just want to hear. You want God to listen to you. You want him to hear your heart. And maybe you want to sing and maybe you want to celebrate. Have the freedom to be able to know that the God of the universe is here right now. And he knows exactly what's going on in your heart. So be honest about your expression. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love. I thank you for the opportunities you give us as a family of God to gather together, to minister the needs of people, to celebrate, to worship, to adore you, to give you praise, to sing songs that we sometimes wish we could have thought of or words that we want to express and can't and found out that someone has already written it and it gives us a great medium to be able to express to you our love. So in these moments together as we close, hear our praise, receive our adoration, know our hearts, and may it be pure as we sing to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray.